Hello world and welcome to another fun, fun edition of Here's a Guy. Um, we are so excited to be here with you. We have survived a, a pretty eventful last several days, which we will get to shortly. Um, but first of all, I'm joined by my two regular co-hosts. Well, first of all, I should say I'm Alex, joining you here from St. Louis as always. Um, I'm joined by my two wonderful co-hosts as well. First of which being my older brother, Cody, coming to us from Illinois. Cody, how are you feeling today? Feeling good. Um, had a really fun weekend, as we all, uh, or as you just mentioned a moment ago, fun weekend with the boys. And, uh, you know, it, we just had a weekend for the boys, and now we're doing an episode for the gals. So we're we're covering at least those two bases anyway. So yeah, yeah. really, uh, really excited for a, a special episode. Yeah, I'm going to be getting to both those things here in a second. Um, but before I do that, uh, we're also joined by Jack John from Indianapolis. Jack John, how are you feeling? I'm doing great. My body is doing better than I thought it would. Um, was in the pit this past weekend for a little bit. Um, can still hang, I think, or at least I did such a little amount of effort that I think I can still hang. And then next time I'm going to get my ass kicked to go back to a concert. So you wouldn't say <laughs> you wouldn't say that your body feels neglected, and you can't say that you blame it. My lower back constantly uh, says <laughs> stay strong, and my entire body disagrees. So that is a very inside yeah. baseball type joke, but uh, <laughs> those that get it will be very pleased. <clears throat> so yeah, uh, Cody alluded to a couple things there. First of all, we'll address we haven't had a theme episode in a while, um, and for this week we are bringing that concept back. It's actually a, a theme episode we've been talking about for a very long time. I'd planned for the first week of March, and I think alluded to a little bit, you know, way way back in the early episodes, but. Um, you know, something we're going to be doing is, um, um, well, I shouldn't say it's been a long, we did a, a themed episode for Black History Month, um, which was in February, of course, and March is Women's History Month. So we've had several women topics. I think all three of us have had a, a woman topic here or there. Um, but this episode, this one's for the ladies, folks. That's right. We're doing Here's a Gal. All women topics for the very first time. Um and we're very excited to be doing this. Um, three great topics in store, I feel. Um, but before we get to that, let's uh, let's kick this episode off by doing what we should for any episode that we're, we're devoting to women. Uh, talking about our, our fun guys weekend that we had. So, um, if it had not just happened, we would set it aside. But um, So, those of you who uh, uh, follow the Twitter account may have seen something about this. But... Um, <clears throat> On Monday, well, I guess I'll, I'll start. So the, the, the big thing that happened was on Monday, the two of you, as well as our very good friend Mitch, um, we've plugged his socials as well, and you also remember him as the uh, guest host on episode 10, um, all came in to St. Louis to go see one of our very favorite bands of all time, The Wonder Years, um, play their first two full-length albums. Um, we were, um, I mean, just an unbelievable, it was one of those shows we saw announced and we just jumped on tickets right away. Like we are going to this show. This is happening. Um, mm -hmm. and it was a great time. The two of you actually, um, hung out over the weekend before that. Am I correct? Yeah. Yes. And how, yeah. how did that go? So, for the two so, so let's, um, I'll go ahead and explain for my, so the initial plan was, uh, a friend of ours that lives here in town where I do. Um, was having a birthday party. She turned 30 uh, this past weekend. So welcome to the Losers Club, uh, to our, our friend Ivy, if she 
should happen to be listening, but she was. Jack, um, John, and I are just nervously. Br- we're nervously sweating. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. She was. Uh, so she was having a birthday party here in town. Um, Jack wanted to come down for that as well. Uh, I had planned on going because work let me go. Unfortunately, uh, from about one o'clock uh, Saturday morning to about four o'clock Saturday afternoon, I was extremely sick. I just I felt like absolute death. I picked up a stomach bug or something. I just felt fucking horrible. And I texted Jack when he was about two hours away, and I knew that he left. I was like, hey. Really hate to do this to you, but like, I don't know if I'm gonna. I mean, you can still crash here if you want. Just know that I'm not doing great. <clears throat> so, um, it, eventually everything went fine. Jack came into town. He went to the thing, um, and by the time I reawakened from my coma at 9 p.m., I actually felt a lot better. So I was, I was okay, and Jack was able to to come crash, and then we. Just kind of chilled on Saturday. Got to see the new Jackass movie on top of all of that. But uh, yeah, with, with the exception of having to miss out on one of the more probably more fun events, um, it was a it was a great weekend. We just kind of chilled and and did as much nothing as possible. Uh, gave our brains a little reset. Just it's just nice that it hadn't been a million years since I had seen Jack in person this time. Yeah. Really. Yeah, it was good. I had essentially four days off in a row because of the concert, and I was like, I'm just going to go see Cody and all my friends. And I packed up the car, I had a couple cases of beer, uh, bought some beer when I got to town, and Cody and I got drunk and watched Dragon Ball Z and Why Does Kids You Know and Most Extreme Elimination Challenge, some MST3K. We we just watched it all and just got hammered. I was going to say, we basically, like, that's... That's what Jack and I bond over is riffing. We'll just throw something on the TV and and do our own little MST3K. I swear to God, it literally, with the exception of the time Saturday after or uh, <clears throat> Sunday afternoon where we went to go see the new Jackass, we we were literally just sitting there drinking beer and riffing yeah. all goddamn day. It was glorious. It was a return to college for both of us. But yeah, everybody came down on Monday as planned. Mitch joined us as well. Um, we went to see the Wonder Years at um, a new venue here in St. Louis called Red Flag. Um, cool little new venue. We had a great time. We yeah, held a- two two thumbs up. My first time at Red Flag. Absolutely love the place. Shout out to to those folks. You do a great job. Also, shout out to uh, the all three of the opening acts as well. Spanish Love Songs, Origami Angel, and Save Face. They were all fantastic as well. Great show. Yeah, I was. I had never heard of either Save Face or Origami Angel, but both of them, especially Origami Angel, though, really, really impressed me. They were so fun. Yeah, I think my favorite thing about the openers is we saw maybe like 10 to 15 minutes of Save Face. Mm-hmm. And I lean over to Alex like right as we get there. And I was like, these guys give me kind of like a super like pop punk Slipknot vibe. Yeah, they had the jumpsuits on half... and everything. Yeah, yeah, and about and there's like fucking 10 of them up there. And then we, I look over halfway through the set, and I can see their merch. And they literally just have a shirt, and it's in the Slipknot font. It just says, Gay Slipknot. Yeah. And I was like, well, there it is. <laughs> yeah, we love a good bit. And Origami Angel are cool. It's, yep. a, it's a two-man act, which I, I was telling Mitch, like, I got mad respect for any two-man act. Like, you got to be really confident in your stuff. Right. It, it's, from song to song, it seems like they cover about five different genres. I mean, it was impressive. 
Um, it is very heavily. Um, it, it's kind of like a pop punk with a jazz fusion and uh, almost a little bit of math rock in yeah. there. Very, very proggy, um, kind of, kind of a prog rock vibe to it too. Um, very, very interesting, and the the talent it takes to play that kind of music, is, yeah. especially live with two members, is really ridiculous. They were uh, an eye opener for me. Yeah, that guitarist had some insane technical skills to carry through all those songs. While I'm thinking of it, um, someone who was familiar with Origami Angel before, as I found out, I want to give a shout out to friend of the show, Dave. Um, what up, Dave? Listener of the show. Um, he was at the show as well. I we discussed it on Twitter before and came up, introduced himself, and talked to us for a bit. Very nice guy, Dave. So uh, uh, thanks for coming yeah. to say hi to us. Yeah, it was dope meeting him. Um, good crowd, I thought. Now that being said. Um, this was a show that we went to, um, first show that we've been to since the show started. We'd, we'd gone to Riot Fest very shortly before, like I think a week before our first episode. Um, so given the things we've talked about, I'm sure you're all wondering as an update, um, did I nearly get in a fight at this show? <laughs> the answer is kind of. Um, here's what happened. And I don't know that either of the two of you saw this. Mitch definitely did because um, he was right next to me. So this was at the very end. This was during the encore, the three-song encore set the Wonder Years put on. Um, and the fact that it was very nearly the end of the show is part of what made me think better of what I almost did. So let's talk about crowd surfers for a second, okay? Because we're, we're part of a scene where crowd surfing <laughs> is a big part of it, and it's a lot of small venues. Here, I'm not super a fan of it, but like people are going to do it. So... Yeah, I think we're also it, it, all six foot and over, which makes us like the targets yeah. either like have people jump on us or us to get kicked in the fucking face. Co Cody it. in particular has so, had this problem a lot over the years. He gets pinpointed yeah. as someone who is large and who is nice enough yeah. to like help the first some, couple of people. Some little spider fuck jumped on my back twice and I damn near punched him in the face mm -hmm. the second time. Yeah, that's annoying too. But I, I just... From somebody who, yes, if you ask me to help you crowd surf, yeah. I will probably do it just as a matter of etiquette. I just want you to know that that doesn't mean I don't hate you. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> because I absolutely do. If uh, if you are a crowd surfer, please remember that, yeah, it might be fun to do it once, but when you do that, you are putting a lot of um, unsolicited effort projecting that onto a bunch yeah. of other people like right. a bunch of people now have their experience uh taken down a notch because they've got to deal with your shit yeah. um i have had people dropped square on my head um and i've just also gotten tired from from lifting so many people up i mean it just it makes the whole thing less enjoyable so just right. before you get up there remember how many people you're inconveniencing and maybe that'll help you think better of, of at least doing it more than once. Right. This is a point that a band that I like a lot, Joyce Manor made more specifically about stage diving, but they requested people not do it at their shows for these reasons. Like it's a good way to get somebody hurt. We can have a good time without it. They caught a ton of shit for it. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but they're right. You know, Yeah. Well, um, and with stage diving, you get the jackasses that are like, I'm going to do a 360 flip. And they'll just fucking throw their heels right at the front row. I'm going to share two brief anecdotes from a show. I don't think we've talked about this one before, despite it being pretty eventful. It was me and a, a group of my friends, and Cody was with us as well, um, like a group of my friends from back home. 
we in 2012 over the summer we took a trip all the way down to Memphis to see this metalcore show down there. Um, like for the show because it was a the yes. lineup we liked. Scream it like you mean it festival, yep. yes. And it was it was on Beale Street, so that was part like it was a show we wanted to see, but also like it's Memphis, it's cool. We we're gonna go, and then we we're gonna go out after and have a good time. Um, two anecdotes. First of all, it's big guy, not like huge, but like a a not even quite like the size of any of the three of us, but like pretty close. Um, he went to do this was a, a kind of venue where there's no barricade um, between the stage and the audience. So this guy went to do like one of his, you know, very special stage dives where he does like a, tries to do like a 360 flip and nobody fucking tried to catch this guy, <laughs> which is kind of what happens when you are a big person and you're just a spinning wheel yeah. of feet. And he landed yeah. f- on his fucking head and he landed so hard. Quick... I picked him up. I, I had to look in my eyes like, are you like with it? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. And he wandered off. I don't know. But also we learned at that show, we don't we think this was a stage diver that either had like a belt buckle or something like sharp or just a sharp elbow. Friend of the show, Jake, the top of his head got like split open during the Jesus. show. And it was so bad we couldn't go out after because we had to take him to the emergency room to get it like stitched together. So just think before you do that shit, okay? Right. Yeah. Um, really quickly, my favorite um stage dive fail of all time was at a concert i went to uh what was at the at the time the scott trade center now the enterprise center in st louis with three of my friends from high school to see green day and one thing green day were doing during their sets at that point is they would always bring a fan up to sing uh longview mm-hmm. and this big fat dude with long hair you could just I was in the upper deck and I could tell how bad this guy smelled. Yeah. Like that's, that's the kind of, he goes up, he sings Longview. He can't sing for shit, but so can't, you know, that's the case for most people. So, you know, everyone's still having a good time. They don't want to pick someone good out of the audience. That's not the point. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's not what you're here for. Um, But (laughs) this guy at the end of the uh, song, decides he's going to make a dramatic exit and he's going to stage dive. Now, again, this is a huge stadium show. It's not like your typical punk show where everyone's moshing and stage diving up front. Also, this is a big dude. And the people at the front of the stage, which is about a six and a half foot stage, collectively just said, fuck you, buddy. You are on your own. I did not ask to have your disgusting ass cannonballed into my face (laughs) so they parted like the red sea yeah and he Mm. hit the ground with a belly flop that i still (laughs) think you could hear over trey cool's drum set so um yeah that's uh you know just just look before you leap folks yeah so what happened at this show so i say all this to to the point i'm getting at is that i'm not a huge fan of crowd surfing in general If you're going to do it, I mean, the smaller venue is the place to do it. That way, like, you know, you aren't traversing an entire sea of people. You're inconveniencing fewer people. But the way to get it started, the way to be tactful about it, you find someone, you tap them on the shoulder, and you give, you all can't see me because it's not a video, but it's one finger up in the air, and it's just up like that, and you give them, like, a look of acknowledgement. Everybody knows that means, can you put me up? And then if that person, that person might say no, but if they're willing to help, They like tap the people in front of them to get their attention and they'll put you up and you go on your way. That's the right way to do it if you're going to do it. Let me tell you the wrong way, which is literally just getting a running start from across the mosh pit and jumping on top of someone's head and neck, which is 
Jack, you said it happened to you a couple times. Right at the end yeah. of the set, this guy who is like a medium-sized guy, not a small guy, which I think small people should be the ones really doing this. Not even really medium-sized people. Um, this medium-sized guy does exactly that. Gets a running start, jumps right onto my neck and head. And also, like, my arm was up. And so it pushed my head forward, and I just clobbered my own nose. And I do not, re- <laughs> I do not react well to getting hit in the head. That's like a trigger thing for me. And it's a trigger for everybody. Nobody likes getting hit in the face. Yeah, and M- Mitch saw this, and so this guy, he gets on his merry way up there. But I am trailing him, and I am with my left hand. I am reaching up to try and grab his like belt to hold him in place. My right arm is just up and cocked. Like, it was comical. Because I'm going to punch him in the ribs. That is concert justice, is getting punched in the ribs. I don't want to hit him in the head. Because, like, I don't... You know, I'd be a hypocrite if I did that. But also, like, I don't want to take the risk. Like, I can't punch that hard. But I don't want to even take the risk of knocking someone out. Punching him in the dick is, like, a little, you know, uncouth. Punching the ribs is perfect. It gets the point across. That's a much more serious infraction. Yeah. Yeah, you're not, you know, I don't want to seriously hurt this guy. I just want to get the point across, but I'm going to all this effort. I'm rearing back and then I'm just like, fuck it. This really isn't worth it. Um, we got two songs left. Yeah. Let's my nose already it hurts. It's not going to unhurt my face. Um, so that was my my most recent near incident at a show. Yeah. Uh, didn't quite escalate. Um, thankfully enough, didn't was it, see was any it that fucking... same. Go ahead. Was it that same idiot who was running around screaming "I love you" all night? And no, was the, I think that no, was that, that same guy. guy. It, no, this was. I would have. I would have not laid off of that guy because that guy didn't have any friends there. I guarantee you, that guy was just wasted. <laughs> no, this was a different, just like slightly drunk guy. That guy was wasted yeah. from like opening song, which is not the way to be. I'm surprised he made it through the whole thing. I will no. say, my, one of my favorite parts is a guy. He did the like he point up to me. And, like, I just, like, pointed at the other side of the building. I was like, go the fuck away from me right now. Yeah. I'm tired of this shit. Yeah. Because <clears throat> we were essentially, like, we were on the edge of the mosh pit. Like, we were essentially, like, saying, hey, nobody crowd surf here. And then it just kept fucking happening. Yeah. I, I will say, uh, despite all that, I'm I'm pretty surprised by how well all of us held up physically. I really, my, my head hurt the next day from yeah. that and also a crowd surfer like incidentally like his elbow just landed right on the top of my head which kind of hurt um other than that like i really wasn't too sore our feet held up um we did we did a good job i think i i did uh surprisingly well for having put on a small amount of quarantine weight since the last time we uh we all went to a concert but yeah i i was and also i'm wearing a full st louis blues jersey at this Mm -hmm. thing and it was hotter than hell in there and also, we should mention uh, another cool thing about this. Pretty much everybody was masked up the entire time. Yeah. yeah. So we're all wearing masks. I've never done that in a mosh pit before. Right. But you know what? Um, managed to, to hop in there a couple times and, and raise a little hell and was none the worse for wear. So really jazzed about that. Yeah, like during the – so they played their two first albums. They actually played their second album first and their first album second. Um, and during the – the first album, we did a little bit more moshing. We were taking it a little bit easier in the second set until they come out and play a song called Dynamite Shovel, yes. which is a, a minute-long song of just pure fury, and the entire crowd just turns into a mosh pit. Um, yeah. What a time that was. So we had a great time at the show. Yeah. Um, Could have gone a lot worse. Um, 
great to see the two of you. Great to see our friend Mitch as well. Um, and more shows on deck in the spring. Oh, also, we uh, we did not talk about them much, but Jack and I, one of our favorite bands is Spanish Love Songs, who is yeah. the direct support. We haven't talked about them much. Really great show. Yes. Excellent show. Great. Uh, I'd never seen them live before. They were very impressive. So shout out yeah. Spanish Love Songs. They're super awesome. <clears throat> Incredibly depressing lyric content, but a great sound all around. Yeah. So, yeah, a great time had by all. And that was our dudes weekend. Um, but you know what? We, we've, we've spent enough time, I think, um, talking about us dudes. We had to get that all out there. But as we've said, that's not what this particular show. <clears throat> I, I'm getting that out in the section about the dudes. Um, I'm not going to do anything like that while we're talking about it's a bookend. the ladies, okay? Yeah, any, any kind of gaseous releases, get it out now, <laughs> fellas. Um, that's right. We're going to be on our fucking, by our <laughs> standards, the best behavior we can muster. Which may not be saying much, but... Um, we had Worst Behavior Weekend. It's time for Best Behavior Podcast. Yeah. Um, so, with that all being said, um, you know, as fun as it is to talk about the Dudes Weekend, that's not what we're here for. We're here to, this week, talk about some gals. So, let's get right to it. Um, Jack, you want to you wanna take us away? Yeah, I think I remember it. It's um... Now, remember, it, this, is not, this is not the guys. The remember? gals... Fantastic! I didn't even nice. want to. I didn't even want to take the chance of, of you fucking that up, Jack. I, I I knew what I had to do there. Very well. Um, so let's get right into it. And um, I genuinely forgot who we agreed is going first this week. Who's going first? I know. I know it's not We're, me. It's Jack, then you, then me. Alrighty. Well, um, yes. for our, our special uh, Women's History Month edition, um, the much-awaited theme episode, Jack John, take us away. Who's your gal? My first gal is going to be Ruby Bradley. Now, she was the gal who was born December 19th, 1907, just outside of Spencer, Spencer, West Virginia. Real small town. Uh, She ended up growing up with her three sisters and two brothers in a small uh, two-story farmhouse. Uh, Very just kind of small, quaint living. We've talked shit about West Virginia at some point, haven't we? Yes, we have. Okay. Yeah, yeah, during Mitch's uh, Mothman episode. That's right. Okay, so we can yeah. we can move on then. We don't need to. <laughs> you know, I, I was actually gonna say no, we haven't. But now that you remind me, yeah, we actually talked shit about West Virginia like a lot. <laughs> yeah, I say there's an episode where I've been in where we I think we've talked about shit about West Virginia as well. Well, we're sorry, West Virginia, but we've never had a listener from there. So I tell you tips. what, though, Ruby Bradley will be a redeemer of sorts from West Virginia. I'm I'm ready to make that claim now. I think she'll bring the state at least up one notch. I'm, I'm excited to hear it. I, I'm willing to give him a chance. So she graduates high school in 1924, and from there she had her eyes set on education, and she ended up enrolling in a local college in 1924. From there, she ended up getting her teaching degree in just two years, because that's all it took back then, and she graduates college in 1926. I mean, we didn't know anything, so yeah. We didn't have to teach anybody anything in order to allow them to teach people. Right. So, right. I, was, I mean, it, basically, if you could graduate fifth grade, you could teach back then because that's the highest level of education that existed. Yeah. And at this point, she's basically teaching like, like primary young grade school in very, very small schoolhouses. And I ended up finding the names of two of the schools that she taught at. And they're just so quaint in West Virginia. She ends up teaching at Mud Fork and Leaning Oak. 
Those are the two names of the school she taught at. What? Mud Fork. Mud Fork and Leaning Oak. You just Is that the name of the town the real McCoys <laughs> live in or something? <clears throat> I mean just... where the Beverly Hillbillies came from, I think. Why Why would you do that? Why would you call yourself <laughs> Mud Fork? You can't think of anything better. I mean, I'm Mud sure Fork, if you call yourselves Mud Fork, you better be a really good punk band <laughs> or a really shitty town in West Virginia. God. I, I imagine it's one of those, like, this town is named off of a geographical marker, and the only thing here is that muddy fork in the road, and also a tree fell down a couple years ago, so it's Leaning Oak and Mud Fork. <laughs> Always good to advertise. Well, when the, tree fell, when the tree fell down, it drove the fork into the mud, so... Ah. Always good to advertise your town has nothing at all going on. You know, that way that people aren't shocked when they show up. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta you gotta settle expectations there. This um, is Mud Fork. You can take either fork; it don't matter. She's still muddy. <laughs> After teaching uh, for a little bit, her younger sister Sally ends up going to the nursing field, and Ruby decides that that's what she's going to do as well. So she enrolls in nursing school. From there, she ends up going to Philadelphia, where she ends up going to Philadelphia's General Hospital School of Nursing, and she gets her RN degree and graduates in 1933. From there, she ends up moving to Washington, D.C., where she ends up uh, getting a nice job at Walter Reed Hospital, which was basically the major U.S. Army hospital at the time. So in 1933, as a nurse at Walter Reed, I'm guessing her main job was to conk the patients on the mal- on the head with a mallet before surgery so they could be under. <laughs> she, was, she was a surgical nurse, which we'll get into later. But yeah, so she was basically just like... In, in the rough, doing all sorts of just gnarly surgeries, I'm imagining, there wasn't too much detail on exactly what she did, other than she was a surgical nurse I, and was pretty well respected uh, during her time there. I imagine that, um, you know, joining a military hospital in 1933, you're probably thinking to yourself, like, whew, just nearly missed out on all that trench foot shit. Hopefully there's not another horrible, historically bad world event right around the corner. She's just sewing legs back onto soldiers going, thank God it's over. <laughs> so with all of this beautiful beautiful hindsight looking at us she decides that just being a nurse for the u.s army is not enough in 1934 she joins the u.s army as well nice and being all somebody right. with her uh her established history as a surgical nurse uh, for walter reed and also her uh pretty extensive education history she ends up starting out as a second lieutenant and is just like right away very, very um, top shit in the army, as it's a uh, army known uh, verbiage. Top shit. Now, I, I'm I'm not expecting you to have any statistics or anything, but I can only imagine women ranking highly in the military at that time was was very uncommon. I do have a stat later. The uh, official um, like where she would end up ranking last, she was one of three women at the time to do it. Wow. So very, very high. I mean, very, very rare. In the Army Corps of Nurses, it was a little more common because back then there weren't as many male nurses, but they still needed officers. So they had a, a, a little more opportunity for women to move up and, and be officers. So it's it's not quite as insane in this instance, but yeah, still a very rare thing for that time. So uh, from this point... Um... She had kind of noted uh, to her superiors that she wanted to travel, and they gave her an opportunity to travel. And so what she ends up doing is she ends up getting a um, designation out to the Philippines. And she's going to end up spending a couple years out in the Philippines, and then she's just going to come back to the States. Uh, kind of like that's her tour that she's getting sent on. 
she ends up spending her first year at Fort Mills. And then after that first year, they end up sending her to like a very nice, like kind of almost a cushy position in the capital city there uh, at a place called Camp John Hay. And Camp John Hay was basically a small hospital uh, serving up to 10 to 12 beds and was basically on a country club. And it was considered kind of just like a nicer, like extensive stay. Uh, it was said that she rarely saw casualties or much trauma there. I watched like a historical reenactment of somebody pretending to be her. And she was like, the worst we would ever see is people getting bee stings or the occasional golf ball to the head. Like very, very low risk. <laughs> so that's some, that's some Andy Griffith show shit. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, while she's there, she's not necessarily the surgical nurse anymore. She's actually servicing as the hospital administrator. So she's she's getting that like nice high like low stress job at this point while serving overseas in the Philippines. Sick. Uh, so Ruby is set to come home, and her uh, date to come home ends up being January nineteen forty two. Uh oh. Unfortunately well... for Ruby, December nineteen forty one has to happen first. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. December 7th, 1941, as we all know, is Pearl Harbor, which is a very unfortunate day, which ends up kind of like uh, getting a great unease and just basically just being like, hey, I'm not going to go home. No, I, 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 I dibs this one. Don't fuck you. Okay. <laughs> all right. It. Okay. All right. It's yours. So it's a very unfortunate movie. Yeah. We're all some, thinking uh, it. Some might, some, some might say it uh, was a day that would live in infamy. Aha, see, we both got one in. There we go. There you go. Yeah. No, so, I wasn't sure which one you were you were dibsing, so I was just like, I'll let him get his out, and then <laughs> I'll do the other one. It's always nice when we all work in tandem. So, yeah, so uh, unfortunately, Pearl Harbor happens uh, December 7th. Um, within just a few weeks, though, uh, Camp John Hay would suffer the same fate, and on December uh, 23rd, uh, her site was also bombed by the Japanese in an aerial attack. Uh, Camp John Hay was bombarded with over 100 bombs at the front gates and throughout the entire area, and essentially was completely under attack. Ruby and the other I'm nurse... surprised there was anything left. 100 bombs on a yeah. hospital? Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, it's basically just like a giant country club, from what I was able to understand. So it's basically just like a Still very though. large like campus. It's, I think now, from what I read, like a park service, essentially, like a, like a historical site. Yeah, they bombed the shit out of it. Uh, so Ruby and the other nurses on site quickly become stashing and uh, stashing supplies and trying to get out all of the supplies they can because they know that this place is about to be overrun. They end up with the help of uh, some people. They end up running towards the hills and end up stowing away. Unfortunately, five days after they stow away, they end up being betrayed by a couple who had helped hide them in the hills, and they end up sent to their former camp, which is now a POW camp. Uh, however, not Ru good. No. Ruby is a badass bitch, and within three days of being in the internment camp, she starts practicing surgery on the POWs there and starts taking care of everyone she can. Okay, that's good if she's good at it. Yeah. But I mean, she was. I mean, she you was said, you said practicing surgery like she'd never done it before. So <laughs> if she's just going in and yanking out appendixes on people, yeah, that's. But but apparently these were necessary surgeries and she got yes. the job done, correct? <laughs> yes. That, um being able to yeah, being able to perform surgeries completely on your own from within 
a concentration camp when yes. you are one of the people in prison there is is really yes. being able to do anything at all when you're a prisoner of an in concentration like i wouldn't blame anyone who is in prison in a concentration camp for just curling up and and dying and giving up right um but to be able to do something like that is, is yeah. incredibly impressive and and this is a 115 pound woman manning the fuck up and taking care of charge and like we like said it's basically running a full hospital this is an internment camp of 500 total people in a building that's set to hold 75 people. Jeez. So it is overrun with humanity, and she's just like, all right, let's fucking go. Let's do this shit. So Ruby is essentially smuggling in any sanitary equipment she can because the sanitary conditions are non-existent, basically. Uh, and she's basically helping, like, appoint people to, like, man stations for sanitary. There's people that are designating jobs. Like, she's she's... She's taking her nurse administration job that she had and really setting forth that she deserved to be there and is a boss ass bitch at doing it. So what's great that is so basically she's just turning this prison into a hospital. Yes. She took the hospital that was turned into a prison and is turning it back into a hospital. That's like the um, even that's like the even more badass version of like uh um like in a cheesy like '80s movie where the uh, the the underprivileged youth organize uh, like a fucking play or whatever the fuck to save their to save their rec center or whatever happened yeah. back in those movies. This is an even better version of it. Yeah. So while at uh, providing medical attention to all these prisoners, she's also kind of like any food that she's given to eat, she's immediately giving it to everybody else that she can because she sees them as being more needy than her. She ends up going from 110 to about 115 pounds down to 85 pounds during her stay in this camp. Ew. While performing, like, grueling tasks day in and yes. day out. Which she, she used to her advantage. She lost so much weight that all of her clothes became baggy, which became perfect for smuggling in more shit. Oh. <laughs> I mean, this, this gal is, she is the queen of taking lemons and making lemonade here. She's getting shit sandwiches and making lemonade. <laughs> but she, yeah, she's, she's like, it, I read one article where like, she like stole parts of a radio piece by piece so that they could have a radio in the camp. She's essentially like stealing what food she can and just giving it out to everybody. She's like I said, she's getting supplies. She's essentially getting era grade morphine and like to assist in the surgeries that she's doing inside the camp. Like she's doing everything she can while like giving herself none of it while like she's doing it. This is next level. This is like, yeah. this isn't even like making lemonade out of lemons. It's like taking a horse turd <laughs> and wringing it out and somehow getting enough like barley and grain from it to make a fine craft beer, which is something that I'm surprised nobody in Brooklyn has ever tried. So I, I should probably mention that Jack and I also watched uh, the other three Jackass movies this weekend. So that horse turd comment was particularly <laughs> triggering after having watched number two. God. Yeah. Uh, I forgot to link out the video of the vomit last week. I'm sorry. I'll yes. try to remember this week. There were a couple instances of her just doing some incredibly heroic shit. Uh, she ended up helping uh, a woman uh, while in the camp, ended up going into labor. And Ruby ends up getting a tea strainer and gauze and some basic anesthesia uh, combined with ether and helping uh, give birth to this woman. During her 37 months in captivity, she assisted in 230 major operations and delivered 13 fucking babies. Okay. So, 
I'm pretty sure that the way you said that was not the way that you meant that. Because what you said was she ended up helping giving giving birth to this woman, which would be one hell of a magic trick. Yeah. She helped this but, woman. Give yeah, that's some yes. real 34 shit. <laughs> yes. So um, eventually in September of 1943, she ends up getting transferred to a different internment camp where she would eventually be liberated out of. And at the end of all of this, she weighed 85 pounds. And throughout all of that, one common nickname uh, to her and her staff they would call her the, uh, or should, they would call them, uh, Ruby and her staff, the angels in fatigues, because they were essentially just angels sent to protect and save everyone in the camps. <laughs> More like angels who were fatigued, right? Right? Yeah. Am I? Yeah. Yeah. Bazinga. Thank I wasn't sure if I was going to love that or run away and scream. No, that one's not. I might get there before the end of the episode. That one's not yeah. going to be a, a need to step away. That's a very soft bazinga is all I will muster for that. So naturally, after all of this, after after Ruby gets sent back home, she decides to take a small break for herself, which is good. She fucking earned it. And she ends up getting a bachelor's degree uh, or a bachelor of science degree from the University of California uh, just four years after the end of the war. So the war is over. She can finally fucking relax, except no, she's a hard-ass working motherfucker, and she decides that she wants to go help uh, during the Korean War as well, when this rolls over. Jeez. Good God. And I don't have a ton of information on what she did in the Korean War, except for the last moments that she served in the Korean War are just fucking from a movie. So on no November 30th, 1950, there's an overwhelming uh, Chinese counterattack in North Korea where she and a lot of people are stationed. They're just outside of the Korea, or sorry, the North Korean capital, and they're essentially having a huge resistance. And there's going to be an evacuation for the American troops there, because it's going so well for the Americans. Um, basically, Ruby says, "I'm the last one to fucking leave. Get all of these wounded soldiers out first. It was said that she was the last one to uh, get on the plane boarding just the board as the ambulance that she was working out of exploded due to an enemy artillery shell. Jeez. Yeah. Literally in the last moments as her like makeshift ambulance station is getting blown up. She's caring for people as she can like get them out. But in 1958, what? go ahead. What do you say? When, like, I I'm just trying to imagine if I got on a plane, and then as soon as the plane took off, my car exploded out in the parking lot. <laughs> just like, huh. <laughs> All right. Really glad I'm glad not I in dodged my car that right one. Now. Yeah. Literally dodging bullets. Uh, what's great is that Ruby Bradley ends up becoming the third, wo third woman in uh, U.S. Army history to be promoted to the rank of colonel by the end of her uh, service there. And then uh, throughout her entire military career, she received 34 decorations, medals, and awards, including the Bronze, Bronze Star Award. And at the end of it all, at the end of her life, she said, I just wanted to be remembered as an army nurse. Oh. Well, what a uh, just, that's a I fucking mean, saint. I mean, there's she's not a, a lot of badass. Yeah, there are not she, a lot of people who, like this who exist. Now she's or a badass. Now. And she's like, I just wanted to help people, dude. Uh, she would end up living a pretty full fucking life, too. She died in 2002, living to be 94 years old. It's like, obviously, none of what I'm doing is near as heroic as what she was doing. But, like, 
my whole career is built around helping people. And if I get to that age and die without becoming completely jaded, like she managed to avoid doing, I'll consider it a success. I mean, that's not, not easy to keep that attitude until the end of your life. Right. Yeah. So that is going to be the story of Ruby Bradley. And my big question to you, uh, during her service there in the POW camps, uh, a lot of her uh, peers called her the angel in fatigues. If somebody had to give a nickname to you that included the word angel, what would that nickname be? So this is a tough one. Um, but I'm going to say the angel of beer. Because I can just imagine that if I'm in this kind of situation, I am like, instead of being a nurse in a war zone, I am um, trying to help a small town who has been overrun by a tyrannical prohibition law. And then I become a Homer Simpson-esque beer baron and uh, get the nickname the Angel of Beer. Cody, I think I, would... a, I think I have a career suggestion for you if you ever, if you ever think about changing jobs. I think a good job for you with that in mind would be uh, one of those St. Bernard's who carries around the barrels full of liquor. Um, That's exactly what I was going to yeah. say. <laughs> Just like start like living around towns that are prone to avalanche and like dig them out with your big fucking bear claws and then just pour bourbon down their throat and then you've rescued them. We don't need beer. We need help. Like, so are you going to say no <laughs> well, to you're the beer? both, motherfucker. <laughs> so... One comes before. Like, are the you other honestly patience. like? Are you honestly going to tell me you're saying no to this right now? Are are you? Yeah, you telling me you don't want a beer right now? You just yeah. you just were buried under snow. Yeah. Cody I'd want to go to that liquor store that we were at and getting all of those Bourbon County barrels and just pouring like 2018 some people's throats. <laughs> so for me, um, as I alluded to very briefly, I work as um, and I've discussed before. I work as um, a defense attorney in Missouri and um my job I one of my favorite things to do is get people out of jail I feel like I'm pretty good at it um so for that I think I would be um and not to be uh uh overly callous or cute with it but I think I would be the angel of meth there you go gonna leave it at that I, I thought I like that, that was Kid Rock <laughs> <laughs> he's the patron patron saint of meth I think yes uh, <laughs> Good, good answers, both of you. I feel like if I had to be an angel of something, I'd be like the anger of like, or the angel of displaced anger. Like if somebody was really mad about something, I would just come in and say something so infuriating that they immediately forget what they're angry about and just direct all of it at me. Yeah, you could, you could. <laughs> You're just a lightning rod for all yes. of the world's hatred. I'm, I'm Meg from Family Guy in that case. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm coming in to exist so you forget about your other problems. Well, you're 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 you have your role in this podcast, which is pretty close. So exactly. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, a good start. Um, so that's our first gal out of the way, and so for our second gal of the episode, uh, we turn to me, and I want to preface this a little bit by saying what what this is. Here's what I was going to do. Okay, I had, and it's part of why I'm glad Jack chose a topic that was like this this like awesome badass character. I had a very similar person in mind. Um, this like really like somewhat known, but this, this like true, like American icon that people don't talk about someone that everyone could admire from, you know, no matter man or woman or from what generation you are. But 
Um, because we had our dudes weekend, I didn't have the time or energy to write a full script to do it justice. And so I'm talking about fucking Jackie Stallone instead. Um, <laughs> and I'll add a couple things. Um, like, look, the point is, you know, what we want is equality. What we want is for women, you know, in whatever walk of life to, you know, not be treated any differently because of the fact they're women. You know, we don't want them to be, we don't want that to be considered, you know, when they're hired. You know, because even today, as consciousness has grown, the unfortunate thing is a lot of people are, are still backward enough, whether they realize it or not, that, you know, they look at a woman and they think that that woman is, is not capable of accomplishing as much as a man is, um, which is bullshit. It sucks. It's unfair. We need to move past it. And so where, the, where I'm going with this is, you know, we are, this is, here's a guy, the podcast and so to really uh, do justice to this principle, not all the women we discuss are going to be like awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, they're going to fit the, the mold of the character that we talk about, which covers all worlds. And I will also say, I recall a, um, an email we got from friend of the show, Laura, a long, long time ago that said, um, um, asking us to um, at some point do an episode where we talk about, and I think her exact wording was um, women who do weird shit. And it's it's hard to find a lot of women who are into weirder shit than than Jackie Stallone. So um, that's my excuse. My 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 other topic I will get to sometime this month, hopefully next week, but we'll see. Um, but for this episode, it's Jackie Stallone, um, and you may guess um, by the name. Yes, she is the mother of Sylvester and Frank Stallone. Um, obviously, you know one son who is very famous, one son who is um, you know somewhat less famous, but. Um, <laughs> Jackie Stallone had some fame in her own right. Um, it came about later in her life, but she's a very interesting character. Um, <clears throat> she was born in 1921. She grew up in Washington, D.C., which is where some of our listeners are from. So shout out to Washington, D.C. and the surrounding areas. Um, her dad was a lawyer. Her mom was an immigrant from France. But the more interesting, more influential part of her upbringing is that her family lived with legendary and iconic bodybuilder Charles Atlas. I don't know why they did, but they did. Um, <laughs> I mean, truly one of the, the biggest figures in the history of the bodybuilding world, Charles Atlas. Um, and while they lived together, he trained the entire family. They're all very interested um, in the world of weightlifting and exercise, bodybuilding, beauty, athletics. Um, so obviously, like, I'm not going to knock that lifestyle, of course. Um, you know, we know people who are very involved in that lifestyle. It's not a bad thing. But that is to say, what we find a lot of times is that the people who are heavily involved or at the forefront of that lifestyle tend to be very, very strange people. Um, <laughs> that was the case for Charles Atlas, and that would definitely wind up being the case for Jackie Stallone. Um, so even as a kid, she was being trained um, in gymnastics um, by Charles Atlas, um, and she had a love for performing. Um, as a girl, she worked as a trapeze artist in a circus. Um, then when she got a little older, um, as a teenager, she was a chorus girl at a nightclub. Um, as an adult, she married an Italian immigrant by the name of Giuseppe Zangara. Just kidding. Uh, she married, <laughs> an, an, Italian person, married an Italian, Italian immigrant, married an Italian American immigrant by the name of Frank Stallone senior. You know, what was fucked? Like it was around the right time for <laughs> had, and she wound up living in Miami later. Had Giuseppe just hang, hung in there for a little bit. Because she and Frank got divorced in the 50s. Had she just hung around for a little bit longer, like, 
her and Giuseppe might have met up, and who knows? She clearly, you know, liked Italian men, so... I now need a a segment every episode of, how would this person have met Giuseppe? (laughs) Six degrees of Giuseppe's anger. (laughs) Exactly. He has become kind of like the mascot of the show. Um, it, it's him and Cabbage, which is what the which is the fate he deserves. Yeah, yeah, really, because he's he's a loud, annoying, tiny human who uh, <laughs> deserves to be made fun of constantly. You know, yeah. Imagine you know, him knowing his legacy is that three drunk white guys from the Midwest are constantly going to idolize him, <laughs> and while making fun of him the entire fucking time. Um, yeah, you know how most like sports teams have mascots that are like cute and bring people joy and are like happy we're going the opposite direction with you know ours is the the most bitter rotten little shit in history Um, yeah it was either this or a coyote with mange but we decided giuseppe was a little (laughs) more off-putting so anyway she married frank stallone senior um they had a few kids um during this time she started a local um tv show like an exercise workout show um, which this was like in the fifties. So for a woman to have like workout shows, weren't super common at that time. Anyway, they would become a lot more prominent later in like the seventies and eighties. Um, but especially uncommon for a woman to be hosting it. Um, and around the same time she started a women's only gym that was very successful. That was also quite uncommon around that time. So she is breaking Damn. some, some, you know, barriers here and there in her early yeah, life. That's awesome. In the seventies, um, she ran a salon in Miami um, at the salon, she was known for a few things. One were her like home crafted skin remedies. Um, she was known also for entertaining her clients by talking about her kids who were in show business. People love that. Um, and she would also do, uh, palm readings and talk about, uh, astrology. See, here's the thing about Jackie that would really come to define her. Um, she was really into like woo woo shit. And by woo-woo, what we mean is like exact, like astrology, palm reading, tarot cards, that kind of thing. Shit that's like yeah. fake. Stupid. But, <laughs> um, she, she's trying all the shit. She's going to be selling supplements, I'm sure of it. Like she's, she's putting her hands on all the crazy shit. It's like charging her crystals. Yes. She was that type of person. She's, she's got the butthole stone that you put in your butthole in the sun and it rejuvenates the body or whatever the fuck Gwyneth Paltrow is She was, she was, yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow before Gwyneth Paltrow. Well, yeah. Jack, yeah. you mentioned buttholes. I, I am trying, Jack, I am trying to oh. be less annoyed by that kind of stuff. But... Jack, oh no. Jack, John, you mentioned buttholes. Table that thought for a bit. Um, I don't want to. No, but you should. Um, We'll revisit that. So her salon did well, um, and it helped her business even more in 1976 when a little film named Rocky, starring one of her sons, uh, came out. So even still, you know, she was like locally well-known, like in for our St. Louis listeners in terms, she wasn't quite like a Terry Crouppen, maybe not even, probably like closer to like a Ryan Kelly, the home loan expert type character. Like if you live in the city, like you you know you knew her business and you knew that she was the face behind it. So, um, like if there were billboards, she would have billboards, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, she didn't really enter the limelight herself until 1986, which is when she caught her first big break in the entertainment industry by getting involved in. Um, and Jack, you're going to be uh, probably both surprised and excited to hear this reference. First big break by um, getting involved in something called Glow. The gorgeous oh, ladies, yeah. gorgeous ladies of wrestling, 
And um, something that more people have um, become aware of in this day and age, because they did a a, um, fictionalized TV show about, um, well, about the creation of the old show on Netflix. Um, So here's the history behind Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. Best I can explain. Um, So it was the brainchild of this guy named David McLean. David McLean had been um, a producer and a ring announcer um, with uh, a territorial wrestling promotion, actually from uh, Jack's territory of Indianapolis called WWA. Um, And women's wrestling was not, it existed, but it wasn't really prominent at that time. Like there was like Mae Young and the fabulous Moolah. Those are like sideshow shit. Yeah. They were like V2 big women's wrestlers, you know, in old times, but WWA, they put on, they would have some women's wrestling on the cards. And what David McLean noticed is that audiences would really respond to it. And he thought they could do more with it and put it a little more out front. So he came up with this idea for Glow, which he wanted to be more like associated with the WWA. And so he takes it to the showrunner of the WWA, um, which is, um, I forget I forget his real name, but uh, the name that he went by in the wrestling industry was Big Dick Bruiser. And believe it or not, Big Dick Bruiser did not take terribly well to this whole uh, notion of um, uh, women's wrestling being front and center. He thought it was just a stupid novelty that people wouldn't like. Um, well, I mean, if if you're in if your entire role is the Big Dick Bruiser, no. there's not going to be much work for you in women's wrestling. Thankfully, thankfully, David McLean, um, he he persisted. He went out to uh, Hollywood, and the interesting thing he did was he actually he did a casting call. He approached it more strictly like casting for a TV show rather than trying to find wrestlers and make them fit. Um, and so finally he found his cast. He hired some veteran wrestlers to like train the women. Um, cause all the wrestlers were women. It was a women exclusive show. Um, and hired some veteran wrestlers to train them up. Um, so they had some wrestling ability. Finally, the, the show started in earnest in 1986. Um, he also brought on this guy, uh, named Matt Simber, who was like a, a TV writer exclusively. He had no background in wrestling, um, but uh, TV and movies. So he brought kind of more of the show business background into it. And so between the fact that they filmed it exclusively for being a TV show rather than a wrestling promotion that had shows um, and just uh, the fact that it was women front and center in a wrestling show, which had never been seen before, people really caught on to it. It became like this big cult hit. Like it was just so different than everything else, even in like, the era of the eighties where wrestling was like very cartoonish people loved camp, whether they realized it or not. Um, and glow was incredibly campy. Um, and it was also in complete stark contrast to like the massive 250 pound roided out, like Hulk Hogan's and ultimate warriors of the time. It was something completely unique and different and the eye catching on its own without the gimmick of it being an all woman's promotion. Right. So McLean, he, he brings Jackie Stallone in. Her role is, um, we mentioned before, when we say kayfabe, we mean like within the storyline of a wrestling show. She was the, there were two authority figures. She was like the face authority figure. So like she was the, the kayfabe owner of the show and she managed the um, um, the face stable, like the, the good gals, which were just called the good girls. Um, <laughs> so she was like a, like a good person character in the show. Um, Glow ran for six seasons. Um, if you want to know why it, it fell apart, one of the big reasons why is actually because um, this relates to a previous topic. This guy, Matt Simber, 
really what he wanted the show to be like. He was most influenced by laughing and hee-haw. That's what he really wanted the show to be like. And the, eventually the women who were in the cast just got sick of all of the shtick that he wanted them to do. And This guy would have loved Wrestlelicious. I was going to say, it's well, basically what Wrestlelicious ended up becoming. Well, more on that in just a second. But I, I was actually going to compare it to, remember in the baseball episode, Jackie Mitchell. Um, yes. And how when she joined the the like pretty well-known barnstorming team, there was also the religious commune. And they did all the... Uh, all the weird gimmick games and she said fuck this because she they they wanted her to like pitch on top of a donkey or something yeah i think it's like we want women to have the same opportunities to do these same things as men um it does not suffice if you only want them to do like the gimmick the gimmicky is shit and just have them do shtick the whole time you know right um they get sick of it after a while um but yeah an even closer tie to Wrestlelicious, which we talked about um, back in episode six, Normal Goat Puns with J.V. Rich. Um, this was when rap was becoming a thing. So they would have the women record like little raps as promos. And like the influence of that was that Matt Simber saw the Super Bowl shuffle that the Chicago Bears did mm-hmm. and was so tickled by it that he wanted to make that a part of the show. And it was really goofy, but it added to just kind of the like campy charm of it. Like yeah. as stupid as it sounds, it added something. Um, and I and, assume that's where Wrestlelicious got the idea for it. Like. Yeah, and, and it was something that like a couple different promotions did that because there was there was also Wrestle Rock, which was the same thing that d- the WWF did at the time. Like a lot of people were just like, hey, let's bite this fucking idea because it's working. Or at least they thought it would work. So Glow ended in 1992. Um, I think Jackie may have not been part of the cast through the entire thing. I'm not really sure. Um, women's wrestling, it wouldn't get taken seriously, um, for quite a while still, unfortunately, but glow was a big precursor to that happening. And Jackie Sloan, to her credit, played a big part in that. Um, so her, her role in glow brought her some fame, but it really got taken to the next level in the nineties. Um, first of all, Jackie started publishing astrology books, um, and also set up, uh, a psychic hotline and, I'll say, so when we talk about woo-woo shit, whether it's harmful or not really depends on the context. Sometimes, like, there are people who enjoy astrology, like, just as a goofy hobby, but they're not making, like, actual life decisions based on it. That's fine. But this kind of thing, like, a psychic hotline is where it really becomes pretty morally repugnant. Because (laughs) people who are calling in are often, like, very desperate people with real problems that psychics they're not psychic let's start with that they're also not licensed because nobody is psychic (laughs) yeah that's not a real thing they're not licensed counselors or therapists or anything like that so even beyond not being psychic they're not qualified to give anybody any of these people advice and more to the point jackie was charging people for this shit so it it's a glorified op-ed but with real consequences on the other end i mean just imagine that you call in to somebody with a serious problem that you want advice on and the person that you are entrusting your fate to is Sylvester Stallone's yeah. mom. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder, did she sound like, like Sly when you talked to her on the phone? You know, I actually should have looked up some, some appearances of what she sound like. I completely didn't even think of that. I've seen you what know, she looks you know, like. Honey, that the man doesn't value you. Okay. <laughs> And you're you're gonna you're gonna want to leave him. I'm sensing a dark Adrian! chi. I'm sensing a very dark chi with you. That sounded more like a H. John Benjamin. Um, 
I would call in his hotline, to be honest. I would, too. No matter what he said, I would call in. I would pay for yeah, it. Yeah, he could just read the date and time, and I'd call that number at least once a day. So in 1992, um, only serving to bolster her fame, Jackie appeared on the Howard Stern Show. Um, the bit that they set up for Jackie... So as I mentioned, Jackie and Frank Stallone Sr. had gotten divorced like decades before. And it was not an amicable divorce. They did not oh, no. They did not end on good terms. And so they basically just set up that they'd have them both call in just so they could fucking fight each other on air. And among the things that were said, a lot of very nasty things were exchanged on both sides. Um, what Jackie said in particular, she accused Frank of being horrible in bed um, and accused him of wanting um, to have uh, aborted Sylvester. Um, Price. So... That's- there's like there was nothing fun about it. There was nothing amusing about it. It was just a really ugly incident for everybody involved. But unfortunately, this was the exact type of exploitative schlock that people in fucking the '90s loved. They ate this shit up. Yeah, only served to make. Yeah, if you famous. listen, if you listen to Howard Stern in the '90s, you are chances are the exact kind of sociopath who would enjoy this kind of thing. Yeah, this was the era of Stern and of Springer and of all that shit. Um, people lapped this up. Um, in 1994, um, a sure sign that she had truly finally made it. Uh, she was lampooned in a Saturday night live, Saturday night live sketch featuring Janine Garofalo. Um, (laughs) the premise of the skit was that, um, they had Janine Garofalo playing a very thinly veiled impression of Jackie, um, with her psychic hotline, um, trying to steer the callers to be more like her son, Sylvester and less like her son, Frank. And I, there is no way that Norm Macdonald did not write this bit. I couldn't confirm There's, it. There oh is no God. way he didn't. <laughs> he he had remember, to have at least been part of that. Probably, I'd argue more people remember Norm's jokes about Frank Stallone on Weekend Update than Frank Stallone's career <laughs> at this point. There's no way he didn't write that. He was on cast by this point. Um, so I'm going to get to my favorite part here. Um, this is the best part of, of the whole thing. We'll, we'll get back to that idea you tabled, Jack. Oh, God damn it. So we talked some about um, Jackie's love for woo-woo shit. Um, a lot of it's like, you know, the base like psychic powers and palm reading and astrology. But my absolute favorite, in the 90s, she started pushing this new type of pseudoscience called rumpology. Oh, God damn it. Now, what's rumpology, you ask? Pretty much exactly what it sounds like. See, there's a long history of this concept of physiognomy dating back to ancient times. And the whole premise is like you can read people's physical appearance uh, and tell things about them. Um, I already hate this. I hate this so much. A lot of times it was just ignorance or harmless stupidity, like before, like, you know, Psychology and medical just, science were real things, but this seems to be just phrenology of the ass. Well, I was gonna say, like at other times, it's been shown to have like sinister purposes, like phrenology, like that was used as an excuse for a lot of really heinous white supremacist shit in the early 20th century. Um, so as for what rumpology is, it's this idea that one can make inferences and predictions about a person by examining the buttocks. So yeah, palm reading of the ass. Essentially, it's just groping with fake science. So there, are, there are various interpretations among rumpologists. Um, I, 
think there are various sideshow carnies that offer this ser- uh, service in, in certain New Jersey towns. Yeah. yeah, I picked up a hitchhiker who said he was a rumpologist, and he just felt up my ass, and I woke up two hours later. So... Never did tell me what it said about me, though. <laughs> Still not answering my text. It's It says you're incredibly gullible. <laughs> Jackie's particular school of rumpology was that the left ass cheek represents your past. The right ass cheek represents your future. And the ass crack corresponds to the division of the two hemispheres of the brain. That's now, the dumbest fucking thing I've ever fucking heard. <laughs> now, look. I, I want to be very careful how I say this, okay? I, I am not... I am... For the purpose of what I'm about to say, I'm excluding people who have, like, a genuine disability, Okay. But among the rest of us, is there, like, a problem with people having asymmetrical asses, first of all? Like, I know asses vary in, like, size and shape and features, but, like, it's not like a palm where, like, all of ours look a little bit different. You kind of just, you you got one side of the ass and the other side of the ass and the thing dividing the ass in the middle. What could possibly be different from ass to ass? I, I don't know if, like, it's, I don't know, maybe somebody was born with an ass crack that was two inches to the left or something like that, but, <laughs> like, is that a real thing? I don't know. I truly don't know. I, that yeah. might be. It's, well, it's not like. Is this medical? It's, it's not like fingerprints where ass prints are possible to, <laughs> to use as identifiers because they're all totally unique. I mean. If they were, so many copy machine bandits would have been caught and brought to justice by now. <laughs> I recognize that ass line. That's Greg's ass. So, like, yeah, are there, are there people who are born with, like, two ass cracks? I never even considered that. We need to get, well, like, a charity. I don't know whatever listener Googles that for that's, us, because I'm not. There, that's the first that here's a guy... Money... That's the first here's a guy charity is we're do- we're donating money to victims of people born with two ass cracks. <laughs> that that's a old Monty Python sketch, the man with three buttocks. <laughs> it, it uh, it's our charity called uh, Two Ass Cracks One Heart. Uh, please donate uh, as much as you can to support this very generous cause. E- how would that even work? Oh my god, you've derailed my entire train of thought now. It's just like shaped like a heart, like the ass cracks go around the cheeks, and it's just a big ass <laughs> heart. And if you were curious. Um, Jackie would perform these examinations in person, or she would allow people to send in photos and she would write back. So (laughs) when we were hanging out, we watched, uh, one of our, all three of our favorite shows, American dad. Do you remember the American dad bit where Francine was um, communicating with an online doctor and he was asking for like, um, pictures of her, of her cans popping out of a cheerleading outfit. Yeah, it turned out to be quagmire in the end, and and it was like, what's the boob test going to tell me that the ass test didn't test? I don't know, but he's a doctor. That's essentially (laughs) what this was, and another cartoon thing. Like I could see this being a scheme hatched up by Tina Belcher from uh, Bob's Burgers. (laughs) It really is just a a careful, convoluted scheme to see more butts. Yeah. Um. Final point on this. Um. Jackie also claimed, and um, believe it or not, this is the dumbest part of the whole thing. Jackie claimed that she could predict the outcome of things like presidential elections and Oscar awards 
by reading the asses of her two Doberman pinchers. So was was this something that you could do with all Doberman pinchers, or yeah. were these just special Doberman yeah. pinchers that were bred for yeah. this exact purpose? I've got I've got I two cats. Know. If I squeeze their ass enough, can I figure out like the basketball games tonight? Because I'll make money on that. Like I'm I keeping bet that you can get your. I bet you could get your hand bit. I bet you could do that. <laughs> it's it's gonna, like an almanac of pet asses. Like they'll just tell you different things if you squeeze right. We're, That'll we're gonna, get you on a fucking watch list. You even Google that. We're gonna put out a PSA right now. Please do not squeeze your pet's asses. They don't like it. Yeah, chances are, uh, yeah, it, squeeze is not really something you should do to any yeah. part of your pet. Yeah. Um, that that is a good way to hurt them. <laughs> but like, I mean, yeah, that's what. That's what she said. <laughs> and I, I don't know how many people actually hard to know who was actually buying into this and who actually thought it was legitimate or just thought it would be funny to do. I think that's defensible. If you have the, yeah. the what how, I don't know how much she charged for it, but if you had that kind yeah. of money and to have like Sylvester Stallone's mom, take a look at your ass and then like make a proclamation about your life. If that's like 50 bucks, that's 50 bucks. Well spent yeah. as far as I'm concerned. If on the other like, hand, though, what if she makes some really wild prediction and it comes true? God, How big a mind awful. fuck would that be? <laughs> Where you have fuck. to start asking yourself, is it possible <laughs> that maybe this is a real thing? <laughs> I, I do like the idea that everyone who's buying into it is like the birds aren't real people. Where they're like, this is clearly bullshit, but it's funny to me. So I'll, I'll throw you 20 bucks for a t-shirt. Or the uh, my my and other... it's, it's a T-shirt and it just says "Ask me about your future." My other favorite, <laughs> my other favorite, um, um, joke conspiracy theory is um, the people who say that Stevie Wonder isn't blind. Yeah, that's real. That's real. I believe that. Um, <clears throat> she had another um, another big pop culture moment for her, and less so for her, but um, a show that that I think it's a little bit underrated in the influence that it would have. Um, and a lot of shows to follow. Talk Soup. I'm talking like the original run of Talk yes. Soup in the 90s. Probably one of the most popular moments from the show um, was um, they, they showed just a short clip, um, this footage of Jackie Stallone eating shrimp, and they just superimposed like the sound of belching over it. And for some <laughs> reason, the host, who was Greg Kinnear at that time, like cracked up and couldn't stop laughing. The, the video's out there. I may, if I remember, I'll post it. Um, but yeah, Talk Soup, which wound up like in my opinion, like what was kind of an influential show that gets forgotten about a little bit. Yeah, um, it, it got memory hold for some reason, yeah. and I, I don't know why exactly. Um, yeah, she she was um, indirectly involved in one of the funniest moments of the original run of that show. So her final big moment in the sun, as it were, um, in pop culture, came in two thousand five. Um, I mean, I, I assume both of you and everyone listening is familiar with um what big brother is the the reality show originated in the uk um yeah the celebrity big brother variation i don't remember if they ever did it in the u.s but i know they did in the uk yeah they i think uh like gary coleman was on one yeah so in the uk version in 2005 one of the celebrities staying um in the house was bridget nielsen um bridget nielsen some of you, if you you really know your um, your uh, celebrity gossip lore, was for really not that long married to Sylvester Stallone, 
And they had a pretty messy and well-publicized divorce. And one of the things that was well-publicized was that she and Jackie hated each other, never got along. And so the producers of um, Celebrity Big Brother in the UK decided a good way to shake things up and to fuck with Bridget Nielsen was um, to have Jackie Stallone come on the show unannounced. Uh, And what happened, because like, you know, I'm sure they're seeing like, you know, it's Big Brother. We want like these wild conflicts. We want things to get as crazy as possible. Who knows what will happen with these two in the same house? What wound up happening um, is fans voted Jackie off the show immediately, like within like four <laughs> episodes. So even the absolute sickos who watch Big Brother thought Jackie was too annoying to keep around. Oh, God. <laughs> so that was by the mid-2000s. She's well into her 80s at this point. It's like, she was born in 1921. All this happens when she's like a woman of a certain age, you know? Yeah. Um, and she's... She pretty well exits the spotlight and kind of just lives quietly to wind down her life peacefully. Um, she passed away, um, again, passed away peacefully, actually in uh, September of 2020 at age 98. Um, and so this kind of leads me into what my big question is, because if she was still around and doing her thing, I would earnestly suggest that we try and get an ass reading from Jackie Stallone. Unfortunately, yes. she's no longer with us, and so she can't do that, so... The I would next, pay for a ass reading. The next best thing, let, let's do a little bit of a self-evaluation. Um, my big question to the two of you, what do you think that your ass says about you? Um. Well, it says that I'm a big fan of pastries, <laughs> uh, particularly donuts. <clears throat> and also that uh, it would probably tell that I, I have a specific favorite chair, the one I'm sitting in right now. Um, I think she could probably tell that. <laughs> uh, and that I spend a fair amount of time working from behind a desk. I think she could probably figure that out as well. Wouldn't it be bad if you sent in a picture of your ass to get a reading from Jackie Stallone and she just sent back a letter with just like a frowny face or a bunch of question marks? <laughs> <laughs> I always knew I was super white, but now I know. I, I feel like my ass, I imagine that uh, um, if I could be a, a rumpologist for for a minute, I imagine that our asses uh, tell a story the way that trees tell how much rain <laughs> came in a certain year. And I imagine just like the fart lines in my ass are very very large. Fart lines? <laughs> you know, like you got the, the the ring lines in a tree to see how um, <laughs> how how much water it got. Like I've got like big ass fart lines for like how much gas I've had yeah. throughout the years. Jack and I consume nothing but beer and pizza all weekend. Yeah. So that this weekend would definitely show up as a blip during that Cody, ass reading. Cody can attest like to there it. was a definite uptick. Cody can attest to it. I had nothing but pizza and beer all weekend. I farted on his couch all goddamn weekend. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, now, I, now, now I know what just... to get Cody for his birthday, a new couch. Yep. <laughs> I, I can attest that my ass would say that my my carbon fat intake is, is far too goddamn high, and I should probably cut back, but uh, fuck that. Well, yeah, good good self-evaluations both. I appreciate you both being honest with yourselves. Um, I also appreciate that I almost got Alex to do a spit take again, and one of these days I'm going to get that. The Just the phrase fart lines is really something. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, it could mean a bunch of things, and none of them are good. And that's, um, to close out this bit, that's uh, yet another tribute to the women out there um, by showing how fucking stupid uh, that, that we are. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Um, 
Yeah, we appreciate that you are, uh, for the most part, not like this. Yes. All right. Well, uh, that's our second gal of the episode. Um, But that's not all. We have a third gal. I know. Crazy, right? So for our our third and final gal of this very special episode, um, we turn to Cody. Cody, who's your gal this week? My gal this week is Alice Roosevelt Longworth. Uh, daughter of former U.S. President Teddy Roosevelt, um, became something of a public figure in America just kind of by virtue of having a uh, father that was the president and, by all accounts, just had such a big personality that she wound up uh, making a name for herself in uh, in the American kind of pop culture bubble that existed at the time. You could probably was, do like an entire podcast series just devoted to president's kids. There are some yeah, fascinating characters. Absolutely. Th- this is, I, I would be shocked if this was the last time we used uh, a president's offspring as the, uh, the, the topic. Uh, Alice Roosevelt Longworth. Uh, I, the reason that, and one reason I'm kind of glad I'm going last year is I think that this probably ties in more closely to, some of the gender issues in terms of the way she was talked about in the media. Um, you think that, that women can't get a fair shake in the media now. Holy shit. <laughs> Go back uh, quite a few decades and it just gets worse and worse. Um, she was the eldest child of president Theodore Roosevelt born uh, February of 1884, February 12th, 1884. So it was just her birthday here recently. Um, he, uh, only had one child with his first wife, Alice Hathaway Lee. Um, and that child, of course, was Alice Roosevelt. She was not called Alice Roosevelt uh, by her family, however, because Alice Roosevelt was her mother's name. And she, uh, Alice Roosevelt the first, his uh, Teddy Roosevelt's wife, passed away two days after her birth of undiagnosed kidney failure. Now, that was bad enough, but 11 hours earlier that day, Theodore's mother had passed away of typhoid fever. Damn. So life sucked back then. Worst goddamn day of your life. (laughs) Um, And Theodore Roosevelt loved his uh, his first wife very much. He was extremely distraught, not just by his mother's death, but mostly by his wife's death. Um, He just he wouldn't even think about her. He almost never spoke about her again. Uh, would not allow her to be mentioned even in his presence. And so he stopped calling his daughter Alice because that was his wife's name. So they called her baby Lee. Uh, She continued uh, later on in life. uh, She was known largely as Mrs. L um, or, or Lee for short. It's just kind of depending on who she was with. That's a very unfortunate start to your life where it's like, all right, cool. Born. And my dad already refuses to fucking say my first name. (laughs) That's a rough start. That is that is a tough one to have to get me uh, get behind. So Theodore kind of retreated for a little while after his wife passed. Uh, he went out west. He spent a couple of years living on his ranch in North Dakota, and he left uh, Alice in the care of his sister Annie uh, or Anna. Pardon me, Anna, uh, who they called Bye Aunt Bye for some reason. Again, nicknames back then were kind of strange. Um. But Bai was kind of the linchpin of this family. She was the glue that held everything together. Um, and she was the perfect person to bring up young Alice. Um, Theodore, of course, wrote to 
by and Alice all the time, uh, tried to, you know, do, do the best parenting he could while he was out kind of letting himself heal and getting away from the public eye for a while. Um, but Aunt Bai was very intelligent, extremely well-read, had a huge collection of books, and she uh, cultured all of this into young Alice. Um, Alice read voraciously, became very smart, uh, as we will see later on. Now, eventually, Alice would move back in with her father after he married his second wife, Edith Caro. So Alice had uh, five more half-siblings through this uh, marriage, but she was always the oldest. Uh, that marriage lasted until Theodore's death in 1919. Um, as Alice became a little more independent, started growing up, you know, as teenagers want to do, she kind of had some conflict with her parents. Um, this was a very interesting family dynamic where um, they they did butt heads quite a bit, but there were there was evidence provided later that they all really did care about each other very much. Um, there were kind of tensions in the relationship with her and her stepmother, Edith, um, as you know, tends to be the case with stepchildren and step parents. Sometimes that doesn't mesh perfectly. Also, Edith didn't handle it great either. She was fairly disdainful of, uh, Theodore's first wife, Alice, uh, made it clear that she re regarded her as beautiful, but kind of dumb. Jesus. You know, she was just, yeah, she she kind of talked down about her. And of course, Alice did not like this one bit. But at yeah. the end of the day, yeah, later on, they, they made amends. And, um, you know, uh, oh, actually, I, I found a quote from this. This is the, the one that really illustrated she. Once when they were in the middle of a fight, Edith told uh, Alice the Younger that if Alice Hathaway Lee had lived, she would have bored Theodore to death. Oh, God. Yeah, that's oh, harsh. That bitch. Yeah. And, and they've reconciled, hey, sorry I called your mom a fucking bitch. Uh, I didn't <laughs> yeah. mean it, I promise. Yeah. But uh, later on, they kind of, they all warmed to each other a little bit and, and learned to get along. Um, in her autobiography, Crowded Hours, which... I have never read, but the more research I do on Alice Roosevelt, I want to, because another thing about Alice is she is a fantastic wordsmith. She was a, a wonderful writer and a great wit, always was. But the quote about Edith was um, that I was the child of another marriage was a simple fact and made a situation that had to be coped with. And Edith coped with it with a fairness and charm and intelligence, which she has to a greater degree than almost anyone I know. So... Basically, at the end of the day, there was a serious mutual respect there. Yeah. Alice, as a teenager, again, a bit rebellious, very spoiled, as a lot of rich kids were. Um, she was very uh, outgoing, very self-confident, uh, also kind of calculating, too. Like, she was she could manipulate when she wanted to. Um, one famous incident, uh, Teddy Roosevelt got so just fed up that he wanted to send her uh, to a more conservative private school for girls in New York city. And Alice said, uh, if you send me, I will humiliate you. I will do something that will shame you. I tell you, I will. Jeez. It's, we, we watched American dad over the weekend and it's literally the episode where Steve is like, I'm going to be a wolf boy. I'm Stan Smith's son, the wolf boy. <laughs> It's literally what that is. We just watched that episode this past Sunday. That's fantastic yeah. timing. 
So she's, I mean, she's savvy. She she knows the score and she knows yeah. how to make it work in her favor. Um, following the uh, 1901 assassination of President McKinley in Buffalo when her father took office, um, Alice became something of a very young celebrity uh, and a fashion icon at age 17. Uh, at her official social debut in 1902, she wore a blue gown that caught on so much this color blue uh, actually became known as Alice Blue and there was a song from a musical released in 1919 called Alice Blue Gown which became kind of a staple in musicals later on so she coined that term again think of the way that children of presidents are treated now if you remember like when the Obama girls were teenagers this is the kind of shit they had to deal with too right I can't wait for when Alice smokes weed for the first time (laughs) It's, you know, and, and it's, it really is to get to the theme of this episode. Granted, we've seen some, some presidential, uh, fail sons get, get ripped to shreds in the media, but, yeah. um, it, it's so much harder for girls, especially right. for teenage girls. You know, like I said, the Obama, uh, the Obamas and the Bush twins later on or earlier on got a lot of media scrutiny as well. It's just a lot of it's not very fair, but that's the way our society is. Speaking of ripped um, to shreds, um, and hopefully this isn't too callous, but didn't one of uh, Teddy Roosevelt's other kids uh, die in a when uh, he and Teddy went on a very ill-advised trip into the Amazon? Am I remembering yeah. that right? Uh, I was going to say, it, it sounds like a Roosevelt child would die on an expedition. I remember mm-hmm. I remember our uh, old professor at IC, the wonderful Jenny Barker Devine in a class, had us read a book about that. It was very interesting. Yeah, I, I believe that did happen. So, yeah, Alice was uh, one of the luckier ones of Roosevelt's children in a number of ways. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she didn't get killed in the Amazon. Um, yeah. She was on a trip she, with one of the Kennedys, and then uh, yeah. she didn't come back. Alice, however, was always kind of a natural social butterfly, uh, much like her father. Uh, and she, she recognized this about both herself and her father. Um, she said of her dad... He wants to be the bride at every wedding, the corpse at every funeral, and the baby at every christening. And she was exactly the same way. Um, but she was still very endearing to a lot of people because, like I said, she's very smart and very um, savvy with with media. You know, she knows how to be charming and make a good impression. Uh, she was very popular with the American people. Uh, they nicknamed her Princess Alice. Oh, maybe slightly how- condescending, but the intention was good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I think. You know, I think it kind of fits because her relationship with the uh, the media and the public was not unlike what kind of some of the royals have over in the UK. She really reminds me a lot of Princess Diana in, mm-hmm. in the way she related to people. I remember, you know, when Diana was still alive in the 90s, you know, American media who has absolutely no fucking reason to care about the royals whatsoever. Right. That still continues to bother me to this day that the American media bothers talking about those people but they were just fascinated with her because she was very charming and you know she she had a, a prickly side as well alice uh despite being so popular was known as something of a, a of a rough girl she was a, a rule breaker in an era where most women were very uh, expected to be very timid and very um you know it Playing like by a, the rules at all it, times. Like in like they expected you to be meek and very courteous and out yeah. of the way. 
deferential like, is the word I was looking for and couldn't get for a minute there. But it's more like Alice, if she had been born like several decades later, would have listened to a lot of like Bikini Kill and Sleater King. Oh, hell yeah. Yes. Yeah, she was a riot girl. <laughs> and, and to be clear, I mean that as the highest possible compliment. Right. Yeah, no, a- Alice, Alice was badass for sure. Like the right amount um, of angst. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, she was, again, a, a big figure in DC society. Uh, this journal, uh, this newspaper in Paris noted that in 15 months, Alice Roosevelt had attended 407 dinners, 350 balls, and 300 parties. <clears throat> Holy fuck. How do you have time to do anything <laughs> no else? That is, that is like, a full schedule. Like, and, and yeah, we went to IC, and that's fucking, un- that's like, even the, by the standards of like Western Illinois, that's, that would be a lot yeah that's that that is literally more than one party a day yeah yeah like like that's that's you have you, to party every day and the age of her day. time yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um she also uh openly smoked cigarettes which was something that women uh if women did it was seen as kind of uncouth at the time um but she said fuck it i like smoking so i'm yeah. gonna smoke fuck you guys hell yeah um one paper, and this again goes down to the treatment of uh, famous women in the media. One paper alleged that she had scandalously uh, stripped down to her underwear at a drunken orgy held at a Newport mansion <laughs> and danced atop a table. Now, this turned out to be complete bullshit. The, the newspaper made this up 100%. Yes. I love that the scandal there is that she was in her underwear at, at the an orgy. orgy. The fucking orgy. How dare you be there it's still partially closed? She's the tamest one there. Everyone else is on the floor fucking each other. <laughs> yeah. At the eyes wide shut party, her eyes were open. Look how scandalous this is. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, the, so much about that story is really goddamn stupid. And again, that story that com- sucks. If it's bullshit. Proved to be completely made up. But imagine, imagine what a piece of shit you have to be as yeah. like a newspaper editor. Right? Maybe, to put something like that about a teenage girl, a famous teenage girl, yeah. in the paper just for clicks with no consideration for how anybody else feels Think about it. Think of all the clicks they well, got at that time. What kind time. of fucking scumbag do you have to be? Maybe she was just trying to be clean. She took up her clothes and got up on the table because the fucking floor is covered in jizz. Yeah, she was yeah. playing the floor is jizz. Everyone knows that game. I'm surprised she managed to get up on the table. I'm surprised she wasn't stuck to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fly trap of cum just at the bottom. God. Well, there's Fucking your episode hell. title. <laughs> fly trap I mean, of cum. It is very odd that like our our Women's History Month episode is maybe the grossest yet. <laughs> we're we're getting a little nasty with it. I Again, gender know that... equality goes every direction. That's right. It, it extends into yeah. the the era of grossness too. Somehow that wasn't my topic, and I'm proud of all of us. <laughs> Women are just as capable of appreciating and being good at raunchy humor yeah. as the rest of us. That Women can be at the orgy. True. Women can be at the orgy. They fucking better be. Um, uh, yeah, that... That's... Well, for me, anyway. Yeah, that... <laughs> otherwise, that's, that's a very... That, other, otherwise, that's a very sexist orgy. Um, <laughs> everyone can have an orgy, orgy. Everyone can have an orgy of their own preference, as long as, uh, yeah. you know, as, as, long as you're not bigoted about it. Yeah, consensual orgies. orgies. Yeah. I, I wanna I wanna take the stand that here's a guy is in favor of consensual orgies. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Consensual everything. Yeah. Uh, always ask first. Anyway, yeah, she was uh media kind of played up we, her bad girl we to, side. We have, to she dig ourselves, we have to dig ourselves out of the weirdest holes sometimes. <laughs> speaking of weird <laughs> speaking of weirdest holes, back to this orgy. 
Yeah. Well, the orgy didn't happen. That was, again, a complete and total fabrication. Um, but she she rode in cars with men, which was basically seen as the same thing as fucking openly. Fucking Jerry Seinfeld had a show about that later. <laughs> he yeah. also dated well, a high schooler, which is. Yeah, I was going to say Jerry, Se- Jerry yeah. Seinfeld did a lot of a lot of things, and my, uh, I don't think we need to show, use him as a barometer. My favorite show: comedians fucking in cars. I'd watch that. Now that I would watch, I think that would probably be a hell of a lot more interesting than the one Seinfeld did because that one sucked. In fact, I'm dying to watch that. Um, yeah. So she's but she stayed out late partying. She liked to drink. And also uh, was once seen placing bets with a bookie. Again, this chick would have been my best friend. Yeah. Like, how cool is she? She sounds like fucking she's... someone in our friend group. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's... exactly. She she sounds like someone we would hang out with. Um, She also had a pet, uh, one of my favorite White House pets of all time, a pet snake named Emily Spinach. Um, precursor Emily to Cabbage after... Henry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Emily after her aunt and Spinach because it was green. So... <laughs> Okay. She had 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 a snake just hanging out in the White House. Well, look, she sucks. I mean, you at, can't she, have. She sucks at naming pets. Whatever. She's not perfect. Look, you, you can't have a snake just named Emily. You have to have something else attached to it. So Emily Spinach is the name. I actually think it. Emily Spinach is kind of a cool name until the explanation for why. <laughs> if she just named it Emily Spinach because she thought it sounded good, yeah. cool. That's awesome. Was, That's quirky. Like, I like it's it. A, it's a green snake. It's Emily Spinach. Um, she also, uh, people kind of criticized her, although not her dad, her dad loved this, but, um, he wouldn't admit it to many people, but he did actually like this. Uh, she frequently would just walk into the Oval Office and give her dad like her commentary or her take on something that was happening. And a lot of like, if he was in there in a meeting with somebody, a lot of them thought this was highly, highly irregular for anyone, but especially a woman to, uh, but especially a very young woman to be doing this. Um, he did get annoyed at some point. He, uh, author Owen Wister, who was uh, a friend of president Roosevelt said after she interrupted their conversation one time, he jokingly threatened to throw her out the window. Um, (laughs) but he, he said once I can either run the country or I can attend to Alice, but I cannot possibly do both. (laughs) Um, she was a handful, apparently. I mean, I mean, if you're visiting the the Roosevelt White House, I mean, you kind of just got to be expecting something unusual. Didn't the guy <laughs> they, have like a they fucking? They sound like. Didn't the guy have like a fucking pygmy hippopotamus living in the backyard? Yeah, they <laughs> sound like about the most fun time to visit the White House. Yeah. Like they they knew how to hang out and, and have a good time. Imagining every ambassador's like, all right, cool. I've got my gloves on. I've got my face shield. I think I'm ready to see whatever the fuck's happening after these doors. <laughs> all right, Tr, what you got in here today? Fucking bear. All right, let's do it. <laughs> Last time you got almost got me with that rhino last time. You're, you're like, look, I can accept the bear, but why does the bear have to be drunk right now? What is this about? Oh, that's the president. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now that's so, a that's a that's a hearty bazinga on that one. Ooh, that's a that Teddy Roosevelt slam. Ooh. Bully. Um <laughs> so in nineteen oh five, Alice, uh, along with William Howard Taft, uh, speaking of large animals. Yeah. <laughs> uh, led an American delegation to Japan, Hawaii, China, the Philippines, and Korea, basically the East. Uh, it was a big diplomatic mission. Uh, 23 congressmen, including her future husband, Nicholas Longworth, uh, seven senators, a bunch of officials and businessmen. And here she managed to get under the skin of the press yet again. She jumped into the ship's swimming pool fully clothed and coaxed Congressman William Burke Cochran to join her in the water. 
Now, newspapers at the time thought this was about the most outrageous thing they'd ever heard of, but they asked Alice about it, um, or this is something she said to Bobby Kennedy, which we'll get into their uh, friendship a little bit later, but they asked her about it, and she was like, look, at the that point in time, women's swimming costumes and the linen dress I was wearing were almost identical. Like, there was almost no difference. She said, it's not like I took my clothes off. I just jumped in the fucking pool. Yeah. That's all it was. That's all I did, and they thought it was the most outrageous thing ever. She's like, um, look, I'm fully clothed at an orgy. I'm swimming in essentially <laughs> my full clothes. What the fuck do you want from Yeah, me? I was going to say, in a swimming pool. That's what it's there for. <laughs> um, Scandalous. But on that trip, she met Nicholas Longworth III, a Republican uh, U.S. House rep from Cincinnati, Ohio. He would eventually go on to be Speaker of the House. Um, they had known each other for a little bit before that, but they really got together on the Imperial Cruise. Um, Longworth was 14 years older than her and had a reputation as a Washington, D.C. playboy, which is maybe the worst kind of playboy there is. Yeah. Um, yeah. That has like a hint of scum to it. I yeah. just, I just well, shuddered a little bit thinking of that. <laughs> uh, they were married in February 1906. It was the biggest social event yeah. that anyone could remember. It was uh, more than a thousand guests strong. Uh, many people gathered outside just for a glimpse of Alice. She, of course, did not wear a white dress because that would have been what people wanted her to do. She wore a blue wedding dress and also dramatically cut uh, and apparently impromptu. She cut the wedding cake with a sword. Uh, she borrowed it from a military aide who was attending the reception. I think she's just like, that guy's got a sword. Hey, I'm going to cut this cake with a fucking sword. How cool is that going to be? It's what I want at it's my wedding. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, immediately after the wedding, they went for a honeymoon, including a voyage to Cuba and of course visited his family in Cincinnati. They went to England and all over Europe, huge, Cuba, lavish honeymoon, Cuba, yeah. England and Cincinnati. I, was like, I yeah. like how you were just like Cuba and of course Cincinnati. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, it, he's from there. You got to stop and see his parents, but I'm guessing they stayed about five minutes. Maybe he stopped and had some skyline chili and went on their way. <laughs> Yeah, a uh, they arrived in Amsterdam with horrible diarrhea. They well, they, are, they got they something there that'll fix your ride up. Let me tell you, they showed up in Joe Burrow jerseys, ecstatic to be a part of the local scene. <laughs> um, so in marrying Longworth, Alice became even more entrenched in the political world, not just socially, but she kind of actually started to to be a face of the political, um, establishment. She, of course, supported her father when he ran as the Bull Moose presidential candidate in the 1912 election. Her husband, however, was a protege of William Howard Taft, who was running for re-election on the Republican ticket. So they were a house divided. Um, also, her husband, Longworth, narrowly lost his house seat that year to Stanley Bodle. Just very briefly. This did not last very long, but... Um, that doesn't bodle well. Haha. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Bazinga. I'll give you a mid Bazinga on that one. <clears throat> Work with what I got. <laughs> Jack, John, I'm, I'm um, going to want to talk to you after the episode is over. <laughs> During this 1912 election cycle, uh, Alice appeared on stage with her father's vice presidential candidate, Hiram Johnson, who was running again directly against her husband, Nicholas Longworth. Uh, Longworth lost by about 105 votes, and Alice joked that she was worth at least 100 of them. Um, <laughs> He, he, and in in retaliation, he uh, uh 
he sliced uh, his dick off. <laughs> that's I, I've heard. That's How many what callbacks you, can we jam into this episode? I, I've heard that I've heard uh, cutting someone's dick off is what you do when you lose by a uh, hundred votes. Yeah. Uh huh. It's it's a very very old like kind of like you know yeah you know, if you're if you're gonna be part of the system you gotta know that you gotta do this. That's the old fashioned yeah. way of doing it. So yeah, Longworth. Uh, was again elected to the house in 1914 and remained there to the rest of his life. But that basically broke their relationship. Um, her openly campaigning against him. Um, yeah, I can see how during, that caused so, a problem. I've seen that episode of family guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so during their marriage uh, after this point, they basically were married just kind of on paper and in public, but it was accepted that they both were messing around with other people all the time. Uh, she the actually had super allowed at this point, was it? I mean, in Washington, it, again, you have to remember that this is the American aristocracy, right? So, but they can they can do things that most people can't, right? But generally, divorce is incredibly taboo, even for her, right? Yeah, divorce would have been a much bigger deal than her just continuing to openly have affairs, which is what happened, right? So, what they did, they established the White House's first ever polycule. <laughs> you know i mean she did have a very long ongoing relationship with another senator william bora um and the diaries that they found from alice indicate that he is probably the father of her daughter paulina Scandalous. um which she was aware of and again alice had a very dark sometimes cutting sense of humor uh even in this kind of sensitive situation she joked that she wanted to name her daughter deborah as in Deborah. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. I fucking love this woman. Another, another gag that became a running joke is the family is that her daughter Paulina was nicknamed by the family. They called her Aurora Bora Alice. <laughs> Jeez. May I see These it? people are punny yeah. on top of everything else. Um, <laughs> she again. She, they're they're cutting in on our bit, God damn it! Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So after her dad became president, she really kind of let loose or after her dad left office, pardon me, she kind of really let loose with some of the more, um, you know, goofy public screwing with people behavior. Um, she apparently after the the Roosevelt's moved out of the White House, Alice buried a voodoo doll of Nellie Taft in the front yard. Oh, jeez! Just for just for shits and giggles, just to fuck with them. I hope that's still there to this day. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, the Taft White House would later be the first, but not last, uh, administration to ban her from the White House. Which um, is a she, picture of her, and it just says, do not allow entrance. Yeah. She also got uh, blackballed during the Woodrow Wilson administration uh, because she made a dirty joke at his expense, <laughs> which got her yeah, immediately banned from. Um. So during the Great Depression, their family, like a lot of families, uh, lost a lot of money. She started having to actually supplement her fortune a little bit. She started appearing in tobacco advertisements. Um, she also published her autobiography, Crowded Hours, which, again, I'm putting that on my list of things to read. Um, but I would, if you're interested in uh, Alice Roosevelt Longworth, I would suggest that all of you read it as well, because it's apparently really, really good. Um she was known still for her wit and charm. Um, they could cut down her opponents to pieces and make her friends die laughing. Whatever. She's just kind of like Oscar Wilde and Winston Churchill. She just always had the right quip. Right. Yeah. Apparently. 
Um, when uh, her cousin, actually, Joseph Wright Alsop V, who was a columnist, claimed that there was grassroots support for Republican presidential candidate Wendell Wilkie to defeat FDR, she said, yeah, the grassroots of 10,000 country clubs. Damn. <laughs> Fucking she's sharp spitting. with that She's spitting. <laughs> but she also, her cousin Franklin Roosevelt was not really her favorite. Th- those two segments of the Roosevelts had very different politics. Yeah. Um, the Roosevelts, like Alice came from, were more conservative. Of course, FDR was a very progressive president. Um, she actually publicly proclaimed in 1940 that she said, I'd rather vote for Hitler than vote for Franklin for a third term. Um, that one well. that one didn't age as well as a lot of the no. other stuff. But uh, yeah, it's, yeah, some of her politics were were a little it, iffy. But you just got to remember the time. It's like one of those like RPG pings where it's like you say something and it's like everyone disliked that. <laughs> um, so yeah, Alice uh, actually though helped Franklin win in 1944 because of her sense of humor. Again, she was an equal opportunity offender. She'd fuck with anybody. Um, she compared Thomas Dewey. Uh, his 1944 challenger to the uh, bridegroom on the wedding cake because of his pencil thin mustache and slight build. Uh, the, the image stuck and Governor Dewey lost two straight elections. Yeah, I say like so. Thanks a lot. Thanks like, a lot, Alice. Like Thomas good, Dewey, good one of the one of the most well known takers of L's in American history. <laughs> yeah, she, she dude, she's like I'm about to ruin this man's whole career. Yeah, he is really. <laughs> Uh, for somebody who was apparently very wealthy and influential, he just couldn't, nothing ever worked out for this guy. Well, when the prevailing image of you is the guy who beat you for president, holding up a newspaper article, falsely proclaiming that you had won the presidency. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, that's like one of the biggest L's anybody's ever taken in yes. America. Very, very, very much so. Um, Alice had kind of a contentious relationship with her daughter, Paulina. Um, I, I, part of it was probably due to the tension she had with uh, Longworth and with, you know, the the whole issue of her parentage. There, there was just there was always a lot of uh, contentiousness there. Uh, Paulina eventually married Alexander McCormick Sturm, who was a um, gun magnate. Um, later went on to design uh, to found a company that would wind up supplying parts for Ruger and and things like that. Very wealthy man. Um, Alexander died in 1951 and Paulina actually died in 1957 from an overdose of sleeping pills. It was a very tragic death. Um, they had kind of mended fences a little bit, not, not long before Paulina's death. And, um, Alice actually fought for custody of Paulina's daughter, Joanna, uh, her granddaughter. And she won, she raised Joanna and apparently they were very, very close, had a great relationship Joanna was a lot like Alice, um, described as a highly attractive and intellectual 22-year-old in a column uh, during her early 20s, was called a notable contribute to Mrs. Longworth's usefulness. Um, The bonds between them are twin cables of devotion and a healthy respect for each other's tongue. So she got her grandmother's wit, too. Oh, Christ. (laughs) Can you imagine a family squabble with these two? Oh, Just giving Oscar Wilde-level barbs at each other across the dinner table, everyone losing their shit. How cool would that be? So many strays just getting thrown at everyone in the fucking room. Yep. Yeah, it is. It is Rose City and ain't nobody safe. Um, yeah, she uh, 
really took kind of a hardline view of the Democrats in her youth, uh, talking a little bit about her her specific politics here. Uh, she sympathized more with the conservative Republicans. Uh, FDR, we no- mentioned there was a lot of divide there politically, uh, but she you know, still maintained that she respected them. So when she was younger, she was a conservative, but coming up on the 60s, she met the Kem- Kennedys and became kind of enamored, not really because of anything they did politically, but mostly just because they were a great, fun Washington family in a gossip mill. Like, she just fell in love with the the Kennedy aspects of it, not so much the politics. As it turns out, the Kennedys can fucking party, is what she discovered. Boy, can they. Yeah, she she learned how, quote-unquote, amuse... To their own detriment, often. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Ask any Uh, living Kennedy, can they party? Even better, ask any of the dead ones. Or that lady that that Teddy killed, yeah. I was going to say, if you can find a living Kennedy, ask if they can party. (laughs) Yeah, she said she learned how, quote unquote, amusing and attractive Democrats could be. Um, she had kind of a, a a needling friendship with Bobby Kennedy because uh, one of the things about Bobby Kennedy, unlike his brothers, who were tremendously charming, could could hold a conversation with anybody. Bobby always had kind of thin skin, like he was easily ruffled, easily insulted. So Alice saw this guy smelled blood and was just like, I'm a fuck with this guy forever. (laughs) And so she did. And she, they basically formed a friendship just on the basis of her picking on Bobby Kennedy. Um, she even, uh, admitted to voting for Lyndon Johnson over Goldwater in 1964 because she believed that Goldwater was quote unquote too mean, which coming from her, it says a lot. Uh, she didn't always pick friends uh, very well, though, because she developed a genuine friendship for a while with President uh, Richard Nixon before well, his presidency. Richard Nixon had friends. Yeah, believe it or not. How people? And some people women? liked. He allowed yeah. that. Yeah. Um. She uh, talked to Richard Nixon for years and years as just kind of a friend, and encouraged him to re-enter politics after uh, his loss in the 1960 election. Um, he invited her to the, his formal white house dinners, lifting the white house ban and, uh, to the daughter of his, uh, to the wedding of his daughter, Trisha. Now, later on, um, her French, their friendship would come to an end at the conclusion of the Watergate scandal, because (laughs) for those real history nerds, they might remember Nixon quoted her father's diary at his resignation, um, saying only if you've been to the lowest Valley, can you know how great it is to have been on the highest mountaintop? Now, the problem was that was a quote from Teddy Roosevelt's diary about the death of Alice's mother and his mother in the same day. Right. And him appropriating it for this was, for lack of a better term, shitty. Yeah. It's what what a lot of people in that space would consider a dick move. Yeah. And she apparently was literally just screaming curse words at the the TV screen the entire time (laughs) this happened. Uh, That is a... That's like her friends that were there. Are like, yeah, she was cussing out the TV the whole time he was on. It was hilarious. Um, she did go through a period of ill health. Uh, she suffered a broken hip in the mid fifties. Uh, two different uh, breast cancer diagnoses. Uh, she underwent two different mastectomies at different times uh, for two different incidences of breast cancer. So health was not great. Yeah. Um, 
she continued to be a staple in Washington circles, though. She remained cordial with uh, Gerald Ford, probably because she liked laughing at him when he fell, when he fell down all the time. I was say he's a if she's looking for yeah. an easy target. I mean, Gerald Ford was <laughs> the guy. <laughs> She did not like Jimmy Carter. She thought he kind of lacked social graces, which Jimmy Carter, maybe... for as much as I respect him as a person, he was kind of a bummer. Yeah. In fact, yeah. that, that's arguably part of what cost him re-election is that he was such a buzzkill, even though he was <laughs> right about a lot of stuff. Um, But yeah, she was still around. Uh, she is uh, attributed to a very famous quote or has it attributed to her. I'm sorry. If you uh, if you can't say anything good about someone, sit right here next to me. <laughs> um, that's an Alice Roosevelt original. Um, she informed Lyndon Johnson that she wore wide brim. She's like, yeah, I wear wide brimmed hats so you can't try and kiss me. Um, yes. When a well-known Washington senator was discovered to have been having an affair with a young woman less than half his age, she famously said, you can't make a souffle rise twice. And um, my all-time favorite, and Alex, I think you'll appreciate this one. Senator Joseph McCarthy ran into her at a party and jokingly remarked, here's my blind date. I'm going to call you Alice. He thought that was a real charming line. And she said, Senator McCarthy, you are not going to call me Alice. The truckman, the trash man, and the policeman on my block may call me Alice, but you may not. And then walked away. God damn. Because Joe McCarthy was a massive piece of shit. So good for you, Alice. Yeah. One of the biggest douches in American history, Joe McCarthy. Yeah. (laughs) and his the the problems caused by his bullshit still ripple to this day and are the reason that in this country we don't have a lot of things that a lot of other developed nations do. Yeah, so, imagine, yeah. imagine fuck that guy. If you don't know, imagine Ted Cruz, but like somehow five times even less likable. And that's Joe McCarthy. <laughs> yeah. That is historic levels of unlikable. Mm-hmm. Um, after many years of ill health, Alice finally passed in her embassy row house in February of 1980 uh, at the age of 96 of emphysema, emphysema and pneumonia. Um, another number of other chronic illnesses as well. She's buried in Rock Creek Cemetery in Washington, D.C. That is the end of the life of a wonderful rabble rouser that yeah. was uh, one of my favorite just political fixtures of the Washington scene from the 20th century, Alice Roosevelt. And uh, go ahead, Jack. She managed to live a full life of being a troll, but respectably intelligent the entire time. Like she wasn't just a troll for the sake of it. Like she was very articulate and intellectual about saying, actually kind of fuck you. Yeah, no, she's definitely in the camp of the Oscar Wilde or Winston Churchill yeah, where she was so witty that just the things she said at parties later became legend. Yeah. And for somebody who had no actual political training, no real reason to be in politics for her to be that savvy, really yeah. impressive, especially with all of the shit we talked about that she had to deal with as far as the unfair media scrutiny and all. Of right. That. Um. So I guess that brings me to my big question for the two of you. So you remember earlier on Alice Roosevelt threatened to hum- humiliate her father if he sent her to that boarding school in New York. If you were from a famous American family, you can either pick one that exists or just assume that there is one and you're part of it. And you want to humiliate them. What are you going to do? So I am going to blend together just some classic old school rabble rousing shit disturbing with the high crust of society 
I'm going to streak at the opera. Fuck yeah. <laughs> that is that is beautiful. Um, I'm going to imagine that this is like a modern day family that I'm a part of. And like the, the cliche thing is to do to do like a tell all book or like a tell all podcast. I'm going to sign like an exclusive like Netflix or Hulu deal and put out just the shittiest stand up special that I can. Like really, really <laughs> bad family stories and like not even funny jokes. And there's just like dead air after every fucking punchline. So my entire current life, but like bringing down my whole family's name. So you're going to do what Dustin Diamond did after Saved by the Bell. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Maybe not everything, but well, yeah. I mean, that, that I mean, would help though. I mean, I'm <laughs> just saying like, if you want to humiliate your family, yeah, he's no, got the one. playbook written. You, instead just, of, you just got to pick it up. Hard, hard to be more of, humiliating than Dustin Diamond. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of making the money on the uh, the book deal, I'm just gonna make no money doing shitty stand up. <clears throat> All right, that's fair enough. That's very good. Um, did, did he die? Did Dustin Diamond die? Yeah, he died a I couple years so. ago. I was um, very surprised if he was still alive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For me. I don't know. I think I'm going to uh, see. I thought about joining like I would join the cast of the next Jackass movie or something like that. But we've been talking. God, we've been talking so much about Jackass these last couple of weeks. It's just imagine you're like everywhere. You're like a presidential son, but your nickname is Poopies. Yeah. Hi. Hi, I'm uh, John Kennedy Jr. And this is the ball taser. Um <laughs> No, you're, you're, you're John Kennedy Jr., and this is the headshot, except it's like a bowling ball and a tether ball, and they just throw it at your head. <laughs> you know, I would uh, actually, yeah, that's that's a better one. Um, <laughs> yeah, you could also just do everything that Hunter Biden has done these yeah. last couple decades. <laughs> uh, that's a good way to go about it, too. All right, good answers. Good answers. All right, well, uh, uh, another fun-themed episode for all of you, and... Um... For the women out there, hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully we did you justice a little bit. I mean, um, you know, we have a good mix of like badassery, absolute fucking insanity, and scandalous. Like we had a, we yeah. had a good mixture. The, the classic, of, like, the, the classic. Here's a guy formula, but um, just goes to show that you know, just like women are are in every walk of life capable of um, doing everything men can do. That the same goes for topics on this podcast. I'm sure that's one yes. that you were all very worried about. Um, so we may not have dismantled the patriarchy, but, um, um, hopefully we entertained you all a bit. Um, so, um, with that being said, um, let's go around the horn here and, uh, hawk our shit. So Cody, where can the people find you? You can find me over on Twitter. I am at son of gravy for 2069. You can catch me here weekly on here's a guy. Um, and I believe next week we're doing this again. You can catch me every once in a while over on Jack's Twitch channel playing D&D with these two motherfuckers and Pookie. Yep. Yes. All right, Jack, how about you? Where can the people find you? Yeah. You can find me on Twitter at Jose. You can find me playing a bunch of dumb shit on Twitch at JackTronPlaysGames. Uh, currently I'm playing Grand Theft Auto 5, but I'm only using a steering wheel because I hate myself. And you can find me on Belchcast, <laughs> where I drink beer and talk about video games. We'll have a live episode uh, that we recorded uh, about a week and a half ago, coming out this Sunday. <clears throat> All right, and for me, you can find me on Twitter at Turpin for Prez. That's Turpin, the number four P-R-E-Z. Uh, follow the podcast account. Here's a guy pod. You can get uh, 
probably one of the best ways to get, um, you know, be up to date about when we release episodes, everything else going on. Um, you know, if, uh, that's how we were telling people that we were at the show the other night. So, um, yeah, just sometimes we'll have fun updates about other stuff on there as well. Um, we have a Gmail account. It's here's a mailbox at gmail.com. Send us whatever you want. If we like it enough, we'll read it on air. Um, we've done it many times before and, um, hopefully we do again. Um, total shot in the dark. I did, I was going to mention this on the top, but I forgot. I saw, um, the state of Florida, um, apparently just is, is passing some new law banning having pet iguanas. Um, I do, I am not informed enough to say whether that's a good idea or not. That's not my point. My point is this is apparently creating a problem for people who have pet iguanas trying to find place for them to go. Cause I don't want to just set them free. Um, cause they're domesticated iguanas. Um, I don't know that we have any listeners from Florida, but if you or anyone you know is from Florida and is in this situation, um, feel free to reach out to us. Our friend we mentioned last week, Hacksaw, we went to college with, um, he is offering to take in and foster any pet iguanas. And anybody who knows Hacksaw, the thing you know about him, he loves fostering reptiles and he takes very, very good care of them. So Yeah, I, I we should probably mention that I know it might seem a little odd, uh, entrusting an animal you care about to a man nicknamed Hacksaw, <laughs> but um, fear not. He is mean, one of the nicest, gentlest guys in the world. And more importantly, he loves reptiles more than life itself. He will take the best care of them. I promise. I will say to, to that point, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, one of the yep. best baby faces in early WWF also history. A very, also a very sweet man. Yes. Yep. Carried two by four and was the greatest fucking man of all time. So, um, shout out to Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Yeah, did we have and no, also regular Hacksaw. No idea if if any of our listeners or anybody they know are are, are if that's going to apply to any of them, but wanted to throw that out there uh, just in case. So, okay, to wrap this up, um, like also, I said, if we have any viewers from Florida, thank you for sticking with our shit. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we badmouth Florida like once every two episodes. They're probably I'm sure they're it. used yeah. to it. <laughs> so great themed episode. Um, so to wrap things up, Cody, do you have a tagline for us? Uh, I do. I do indeed. All right. Well, thank you all so much for joining us. Um, we plan on being back with you next week. So hope to see you again. Um, and so to wrap things up, Cody, hit us with that tagline. Good night, everyone. Happy Women's History Month. And remember that misogyny is for douche fucks. That's right. Bye, daddies. <laughs> <laughs>